hey, you got an opportunity today. You know, I ask the Lord for forgiveness, but like, ah, Lord, I should have stepped up better in that situation. I should have represented you well better. You were calling me to more here, and I just, sorry, Lord. He says, okay, so let's go. We got today. That's the way it works, right? It's a Christian kingdom. It's our father. He's a good father. He's a great father. And we're going to have opportunities, it's guaranteed. So we can walk in them. Um, so this week, we kind of change gears a little bit. And we talk about Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000. So more than enough. Um, I'm sure, Michael, it's a great slide, right? What kind of fish is that, do you know? A sunfish? I don't even know. I just found it on the PowerPoint thing. And I, was, I, like, I don't know. Could go for a sunfish, I guess. Um, but more than enough... Um, and they got, yeah, they got the five loaves and the two fish, so they did pretty good. So let's see what's going on in this story. Now, now here's what's interesting about this story. Um, there's a bunch of interesting things. Uh, but what we'll, we'll focus on, we'll, we'll read through the story, but we'll focus on a couple issues. And one being um, this whole idea and business of God testing. Does he, should he, if he does, why, uh, what's the purpose? Uh, as soon as you say test, it just invokes... Feelings in a mindset like, oh no, you know, like nervousness, anxiousness rings up. I don't know the last time you took a test at the DMV or something or an exercise test or last time you took SATs or ACTs. I got to administer those at school, you know. So we'll be talking more about that whole arena and how that fits with God, how it's actually a good thing. We can actually look forward to a test like that. Um, And then we'll talk about uh, the most obvious part of the whole story feeding thousands of people from five loaves and two fish? Are you kidding me? That's insane. Can you imagine? If, if our ministry plan for Duck Day was to, hey, listen, uh, somebody bring uh, a loaf of ciabatta bread and somebody bring like a can of tuna fish, we're going to feed everybody down there. That's insane. That's crazy. And it's even worse if like, we didn't even talk about it like that. Like, we just showed up with that stuff. We're just like, hey, we're just, we'll just feed everybody here. That way they'll know who the true living God is. We'll just feed them. That's going to be our outreach plan. I wish my faith was there, to be honest. Because I bet you'd show up and you'd do something. That, I don't know. I'm not quite there yet, unfortunately. But I bet he'd do something. So let's see. Let's see what's going on. So it says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So he's got these huge crowds because he's just healing people, and it's unbelievable. They've never seen anything like this. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. So they go up on this mountain. He's sitting down with his disciples. All these crowds are just coming. I picture probably a day, when I picture it in my head, I kind of picture a day like maybe today, just a gorgeous day. It's just grass. It's just nice. So verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, so who did he ask first? Philip, right? So that's your first question in there, right? Just to help. Stay in tune, because I could probably lost people already. We're only five verses in here. It's just the nature of who we are. You just get lost easy sometimes. All right? So he said to Philip, so he talks to him first. And someone's like, he was a disciple? Yes, he was, yes. 
Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So this is Jesus with the test. Right? He sees all these people. Interesting situation. And Jesus leans over and says, Hey, where are we going to buy this? How's this going to work out? And uh, Jesus already knows what the answer is. So what is the deal? Why does he ask? Is he just looking for them to mess up and make a mistake? Or what, what's going on? We'll talk more about that in a minute. So he asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. When Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Verse 7. Philip answered him, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each one to have a bite. So it's crazy how many people are there. Eight months' wages. Not enough just even for a bite. So another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So Andrew, Peter's brother, he's kind of interesting. I just picture him on the scene. He sees this convo with Philip going down. He probably, you know, Jesus asked Philip, you know, how are we going to feed these people? And <laughs> Andrew's probably thinking, I'm glad you didn't ask me. You know, <laughs> listening to hear what's Philip going to say. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Philip gives his answer, and Andrew's probably like, eh, that probably wasn't so hot. And so, you know, I, I see this guy, this boy over here, he's got five loaves and two fish, and I just picture Philip like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's all I got for you. You know, what, what else can we do? I don't, I don't know. But it's creative anyways. He's trying to think of something. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. It's pretty interesting. 5,000 men. That's not counting women or children, right? So it could easily be double that. It would be more than that. Ten to 15,000 people? would be a lot. That's a lot of people. This must be a huge hill. This is like before microphones, no PA systems. It's crazy. It's a lot of people following him around. Like, that's quite the crowd. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. Right? It's a good thing to pray before meals, right? Jesus set the model for it. And distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. It says, when they had all had enough to eat, crazy, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Just no words. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And we talked last week about how in the Old Testament, that's who they were looking for the Messiah was going to be. Deuteronomy 18. I don't know if you did, anybody looked it up this past week, but we talked a, a little bit about it last week. Deuteronomy 18 is what it writes about the Messiah, the prophet that's coming and who they're to look for. And so like, man, they see this happen. Like, this is him. This, this is Deuteronomy 18 right before us. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so after they see it, they're like, man, we got to, this is the Messiah, this is the prophet, we're going to come make him king, he's going to set us free. And then Jesus realized this. 
and he goes back to another place, right? Because he is called to be king. He is the ultimate king and judge, but this was not the time, and that was not the way. He's going to be king and judge by going to a cross and by paying for all time, and then he takes his seat into heaven as king and judge. And many people would have been like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll take the throne now. We'll go into it. But that wasn't the deal. That wasn't his calling. So the interesting things to me about this story are obviously feeding that many people. Five loaves and two fish. It's just, what do you even say to that? And then, he doesn't do it just once in the Bible. He does it twice in the Bible. He does feeding 5,000 here. He feeds 4,000 in another place. Um, so it's just incredible. And I, I don't even know how you picture that in your head as they're past. Like, how does it happen? They, they just they have them all sit down. He's got five loaves and two fish. He's got these disciples. How do you even pass it out? I don't even... You don't, you don't have enough stuff to pass out to the people that are giving it out. How does that even... Does he like give him a crumb and he's like, okay for you? He rips off a piece of fish. Like you get a tail, you get like a gill. Like you get a... Like what is he... And then like it multiplies like as they do it or... How does this... This is crazy. It's amazing. And he does this thing twice. So, but it sets up, right, the idea is the testing. What is the deal with the testing? Why did he ask the question if he already knew what the answer was going to be? Was he trying to set him up to fail? And the answer desperately is no. Not trying to set him up to fail. So what was he doing? So what was he doing? Now, let's just talk about tests for a minute. Um, I think I have, a, do I, I don't know if I put these verses on there. God does test people, all right? So he does. In the Bible, says it flat out. And I don't know if I have it back there, but in Psalms 11.5 and Genesis 22.1, so that's Psalm 11.5, Genesis 22.1. Psalm 11.5 basically says this, um, he's a God who tests the righteous. In Genesis 22, it says when God tested Abraham, when he was talking about Isaac. So we test, and that's just two places. There's a bunch more. So God definitely does. But the question, of course, um, is why. Now, let's just, right, we all have a thought process and a background as far as tests go. How many people are good test takers? Just out of curiosity. Oh, wow. All right. How many people are not good test takers? Oh, I got a bunch of honest people. There was, like, not too many strivers. That was good. So uh, the test, you know... Even at school, you know, the kids, are just, they just get crazy on test day, especially, you know, the honors level classes where they're really locked into their grades and they pay attention to every little thing that happens and they just stress out, they get overwhelmed because they've been doing all the work and they want to make sure they perform, you know, on the test. Um, and then another day that's really big for the kids, the ACTs, right, SATs, and those ones are just brutal. I mean, you know, four hours just sitting down testing and, you know, you went through it and... Um, much of it is just incredibly boring, and uh, they're hoping they can get the scores that they need, you know, to get to wherever they're going. Um, and those t- tests are designed to really figure out what you know, right? They're designed to figure out what you know. So even if I give a math test, I want to know, you know, what, is, what does this kid know? What does the student know? Um, and it's very interesting to me when a student comes up to me and he's like, Oh, man, Mr. Murphy, I studied like two and a half hours for this test, and I don't understand. You know, I, 
I just bombed it. I don't know what happened. Um, and so in that moment, man, you really want to trust them, but you don't know. You've got to consider the source. So if this particular individual is someone who shows up to class never with their books, is talking a lot, is very much a distraction, hardly ever participates, you never see them for extra help, but they studied three hours for the test, I don't know. You don't want to call them a liar, but maybe they're just a little mistaken. Um, there could also be the one that really did. Like, they really did try. And you do see them in class. They do take notes. They do raise their hand. They do ask. They're doing the stuff they're trying to do, and they put in some time. And so the issue then becomes, they thought they knew something, but they really didn't. Right? They thought they knew something really well, but they didn't. They just didn't have it. So then I usually ask them, like, what did you do for three hours? Like... Just dig a little bit deeper. Oh, well, you know, I, I studied. Okay? So when you say study, what exactly do you mean? What, like what? I looked over our notes from class. I'm like, oh, all right. And then, yeah, I really looked at those. Oh, that's good. Uh, do you know what chapter on? You know, that's just a real obvious question. Hopefully they get that part. You know, then we go from there. Because what do you do? And, and like for math, you can't really just look at notes. Like math is something you have to do. You've got to like, just keep doing a whole bunch of problems until you really get it. That's why nobody likes it. It's a lot of work. You get, it's not really subjective. Either you get the answer or you don't, and there's not really an in-between. So you just got to get it. Um, and then so what my job as, as the teacher trying to help them is to be like, okay, how are they utilizing, hopefully, this time, let's take the situation where they're being honest, how are they utilizing that two to three hours? Because I want to make sure that I can build them up in such a way so there's not a great disparity between their study time and their retention of knowledge. I want to make sure they go hand in hand. So when they think they're studying, what they think they know, they actually do, because then from there they gain confidence and then they can move forward. Right? Now, there's also, this plays out very well in the Christian faith. We can think that we really know Jesus and understand him really well and who he is and how he loves people and how he forgives. Um, But when a situation arises and a circumstance comes up, hopefully we are then able to shine even brighter on what has already been built into us and we're not sent scrambling. There's a lot of Christians that get really rocked by difficult times, situations, and circumstances. Just rocked. It's really tough. And then for a lot of people, what actually happens is that really difficult challenge or test or situation then becomes really the boss in their life and they're just sort of a product of it that deals with it. Instead of being a product of a relationship of Jesus Christ that now transforms that situation. Does that make sense? So a lot of times people just have something come in, some kind of uh, maybe sickness uh, or event or bad news or, you know, unfortunate report, and it's just like, oh man, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it through and I don't know what I'm going to do and just... I don't even know if God loves me now, and I don't know, and I, you know, I'll send scrambling. And it's really common. It's really easy to do. 
But hopefully we can be at a place where a test doesn't do that. See, the test from the Father is not necessarily to reveal what we know. A test from the Father is to reveal where we're at. Oh boy, that's good. A test from the Father is not necessarily just to indicate what we know. It does play a part. But it's more to reveal where we're at with Him. Where is my faith level in Christianity really at right now? Because this stuff is coming hard and it's coming fast. So, where is my faith? Where am I as a Christian right now in the middle of this? Not how many verses pertain to this. No. How many verses am I now embodying that I'm looking to become that I memorized and invested in that God is going to speak through me on in this situation? It's totally different. It's totally different. And that's what the test, the challenge, the difficulty, what it's intended to do. Because at the end of the day, our Father cares about our faith and our relationship with Him. He says it's worth more than gold, is what it says in James 1. Worth more than gold. So this is important stuff. Really important stuff. So let's take a look. I tried to write down a couple of things here. Let's see. The who, what, when, where, why of testing. What is a test? It's a challenging situation. And in the Bible, a test is, when you look at kind of the language of how it's made up, a test is something that's proven by trial. So when you're reading through the Bible and a test comes up, it's really a trial where there's an opportunity for somebody to prove where their faith is at and prove like where they're at. Because some person could think that, yeah, my faith is at such and such, I'm a particular person in a particular place. And then when something arises, you'd be like, oh man, I, I really am not in that particular place. Man, it's all too like, common and all too familiar to just to be at like, an awesome worship service or just like a great conference or be at a great Bible study, a prayer meeting, or God, have, God do something through us. And man, then we just come home and we are just arguing with everybody in the house. <laughs> that's a problem. Like, that's not cool. Or like, you just come out of church service and we're firing off at the kids in the car. Not cool. Like, you think that you just had this great encounter with God and maybe something there definitely felt something, but we can easily deceive ourselves in thinking, oh yeah, man, I was just with him and it was awesome and he's just... To think we're at a particular place and it's not really the case. So it's actually really helpful to have a revealing come from this testing, but it's going to help protect us against deceit. Because, man, we can easily do that really well. Because we can easily think that, oh, yeah, I went to church. I've done this so many times. I was at church on Sunday, and then I taught in Sunday school, so, like, I'm good. I heard from God today. No. No. Like, you are obedient in Scripture to not forsake the abandoning of His people, to come together and stir one another on in good works. That's good. Hopefully you heard from God when you're there, but maybe you didn't. Like, it's totally possible to come to church, be around people, even go to some things and be like, man, I just, I don't know. I didn't really hear or really get anything from the Lord today. Very possible. Anybody ever been there? 
I got two hands. You could definitely come. Just be like, I just feel like I'm not, I just really feel like I didn't connect with the Lord at church today. There's no rule against connecting with Him later. That's what we're called to do. It's relationship. Right? Relationship. Because we can easily deceive ourselves based on what we like see ourselves doing that we're at a particular place. And then when a test or challenge or difficulty arises, we're really going to find out what we're at, what we're made of. So that's what a test is. It's something that's going to uh, be a trial or something that we're going to have to be able to prove our faith, an opportunity to prove our faith. Who is a test for? Well, it's for all believers. Now it's true. Everybody's going to have difficult times. The Bible makes it really clear. It's going to rain on the godly and the ungodly. It's coming. Um, but tests are coming for all believers because all believers are in relationship with them. And he's constantly wanting to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And I don't think, nobody in here is done yet. So, like, <laughs> we're still doing that. I'm included, right? Where none of us are done, so that thing is still going. Tests and trials are coming. Just have to surrender and embrace it. It's default level for a believer. It's not by accident that they were hanging out, the disciples were hanging out with Jesus and they got presented with an impossible situation. You think that's coincidence? That's called lifestyle. We can come to expect it. And then so many times what the Christian does is, oh my God, I've been so faithful to you, Lord. I've given to you. I've served you. I've done this. I've done that. And this is how you repay me. That's like so not what it's about. So not what it's about. We're going to see what our prayers look like when they change from that, right? So what are they? Something will be proven by trial. Who's it for? All believers. This is interesting. When? When did these tests come up? Well, I tried to think of a time. Can you think of a time where our relationship with Christ and growing as a Christian is not happening? I can't think of a time when it's not happening. So it's probably fair to say tests and trials are just ongoing all of the time. Because even if stuff is like, that's not to overwhelm people. Some people already got overwhelmed and that was not the intent. But I'm just trying to tell you what the story, what the deal is. Like that's what the deal is. Um, So all these situations can happen but there could be like times in life where it's like a little bit easier going and maybe not as difficult. But we still live in these bodies and our flesh and our minds. And we're constantly dealing with that stuff. You know, how we feel about ourselves, like maybe our self-esteem and how selfish maybe we're being and how we respond to other people. Like we can never get away from stuff. And then if maybe things come in and we get the bad report or difficult news or some situation arises, right, we're always really in the midst of it. But I think it's also definitely true that there just are some seasons in life that are more challenging than others. And usually when we're talking about tests and trials, like those are the things that we're talking about. The ones that are just abnormally more challenging and more difficult, whether self-inflicted or not. It is what it is. Because you can't go to someone maybe whose faith is maybe a little bit younger and a little bit um, you know, not well matured yet, and everything going on in their life is a really big deal. You can't then approach that and be like, ah, oh, you're just being too sensitive. You know? just suck it up, buttercup. You know, just deal with it. 
can't say stuff like that. There's got to be some compassion there, right? You can't, can't do that. Now, maybe if somebody's been dealing with something for like 30 years and they're responding the same way, suck at a buttercup might be really good truth they need to hear. But boy, that better be coming from a good place, a good relationship, and in a way that honors and loves that person. Because you can't deliver truth in that way. And that's what we're called to do. So when, man test trials stuff, they're coming up all the time. Where? Everywhere. And why? To reveal, not necessarily just how much we know, but where we are at. These tests are intended to reveal where we are at in our relationship with Christ. Where is our faith level at? In Matthew 13, the Bible has some other words on this. The parable of the sower. You could turn there if you want. You don't have to. But it's interesting in this parable of the sower with the, with the soils. What's the one thing that made one of these seeds not grow and develop? We're going to take a look here. I'll read it to you. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. So the disciples asked him, what are, you, what are you talking about? And so as we skip down the seat, verse 18 it says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the one on the path is when the enemy comes and he makes so people just can't hear, listen, and retain. That's why it's so big to pray over a church service. We have no idea well, somebody right next to us or in the pew behind us or around us is dealing with what's going on. And the enemy is on a mission to make sure that they don't hear what's going to be said and what's going to happen. It's a legitimate, strategic, intentional mission that the message be not heard, or if it is, it's like so filtered and crazy, they will fill their minds and cloud it with all kinds of other stuff. It's an intentional mission happening all the time, all across our nation right now this morning, everywhere. It says, the one who received the seed that fell in rocky places, the man who hears the word, now once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Here we go. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Trouble, persecution, testing comes, man, he just falls away. Huge amount of people. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's true. I agree. And maybe even on a Sunday. Uh, hands raised, singing out. And then come Wednesday night, they're just hand on their face being like, I do not know. Maybe I was just, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been there. Pretty common place to be. And what does it? The test. The trial. The difficulty. Man, the Father's got such good intention behind it. And there's such promise and hope behind it. Here's something that's hopeful. Testing is always for our heart. And it will never be too much. It will never be too much. Our Father knows 
who we are, what he has placed in front of us, and he's not going to beat us down with condemnation for not having come up with the answer or doing it perfectly. That's good news! That's huge! I could see like maybe some other person be like, Philip, that is just a dumb answer. Do you know who you are with right now? He would have all the right in the world to say that, right? Isn't that true? Like, that's true. In a court of law, like some other place, like if he wanted to make his point, he could make his point. Philip, obviously you have not been paying attention to what's been going on. (laughs) That's fair, right? It's true. He didn't berate him at all. Not at all. Probably shouldn't have much berating in our lives either when people don't get things, right? Or then the Andrew, when he makes his suggestion. Well, I guess you're not as much as an idiot as Philip. But still, like, how is this even difficult for you right now? He could have, man, just been like really poured it on him, making sure they get the point. And he is right and they get it. That's not at all how our father is. Man, he knows. He just presented out there. Hey, you know, what are we going to do? What do you guys think? You got a couple of ideas? All right, let me just show you now. And he just shows them. And just overwhelms them. And then does more than enough. And then he does it twice. <laughs> and it's crazy to me that the second time, they're all like, hey, do that thing that you did before. <laughs> you know, like... So it's so good to know that we've got a Father that's just going to be patient with us, work through us, and is going to, man, just be there for us. Did you know He is for you? He is for me. He's for us. Like, He's not like, a, he's, he's like on our side, like, like a typical test, right? I don't know how your teachers were. It's some test, right? You get your test. They're going through their test, and they're like, nobody's getting an A in my class. <laughs> what? Seriously, how about if they know it and like they have, to have the knowledge that, yeah, give them the A. Aren't you for them? Don't you hope that they do well? That's what our Father's doing. Yeah, I want you to get this. I want you to do well. You might not be seeing things right now. I want you to see it and you're going to see it. Let me show it to you. Like that's the way our Father is. So the test has like this connotation of, man, oh man, I better perform, otherwise it's going to be a big problem. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be the Christian you know, that I thought I was, and I just, oh, you know. Man, it shouldn't be devastating or depressing like that at all. It's a good thing that he's going to bring us into a place where we have a healthy evaluation of where we really are and who he really is. Because it's really true that he must increase, we must decrease. It's got to happen. And it's also really true that his grace is sufficient for us in our weaknesses. But if we're never vulnerable and weak, and we're always in control, because who knows you're not in control of the test, because then it wouldn't be a test. So... But a lot of us like to be in control. We don't like to be vulnerable. And I feel like, ah, uh, I don't know how this is going to pan out. Kind of, I can't. I studied. I did it. Uh. We can trust him with it. We can trust him with it. And that's where he's trying to get us to. Because our faith is so important. 
I wrote down a couple of things here. I, I know I have this slide. Some prayers. So when testing, because, and I don't know why this testing thing just kept coming up with me this week, but it just did, so I guess it's for us. Um, so prayers before, after, yeah, here we go. So some prayers. You can see where my quiet time is like the past month or so. It's in Psalms. So there's other places you could look and get them from. That's fine. It's just, you know, where I've been this past week or past month or so. Prayers during testing, trials, situations. Right? We've, we just talked about one common one. It's like, God, where are you? What are you doing? I've been following you. You said that you're faithful. I don't understand. If you're a good father, why wouldn't you do this? We've been praying. You haven't been doing that. You haven't. Okay, we know about those prayers. Fine. Let's try and move past that, right? So before, there's other prayers. There's other things to meditate on. Psalm 1, right? Real quick, I'll just give you highlights of these real fast. These, these are, I'm not going to read the whole thing there, but I just want to give you snapshots of what should be in our hearts as we go through this stuff. A smart person would have marked all these off in their Bible ahead of time. Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or see in the sit of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Man, so before, God, I'm just going to delight in you. I'm going to delight in who you are and who I am. On your law, I'm going to meditate day and night. Why? Because I'm going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. I'm going to yield fruit in season. And whatever I do is going to prosper. Lord, I trust in you in that. I'm going to do that. Like, build it up during those times. Man, plug in and dig those roots deep. Because if that doesn't happen then, then during it, you're scrambling. And probably a mess. And then you're like reaching out to everybody. Oh, it's like quicksand and you're just going down. The farther you are, the, the farther you kick it, the faster you're going down. Psalm 16. I don't even remember what was in that one. What was in that one? Oh, yeah. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Lord, you've assigned my portion and my cup, and you've made my lot secure. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. You've made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Like, these are just promises of who he is and where we are at. Man, that's got to be established before we can start getting rocked with stuff. Because we're going to go back to the promises. What does he say? Otherwise, we're just going to be left to how do we feel? that one can take over and run rampant real fast. Not that feelings are bad, but they should be indicators, not dictators. Steal that one. It's not mine. They're indicators, not dictators. They should indicate what's going on. I mean, we're just, just like unrest. Things are unraveling. We feel very unsettled. I don't know. But then hopefully they don't dictate then what we're going to do and how we're going to move forward. They're hopefully not going to dictate how we're going to do our quiet time or if we're even going to do it. They're not going to dictate if we show up to church or Bible study or not. They're not going to dictate if we decide to give that week or whatever it is. See the difference? So that's before. Hopefully we're like meditating and staying in those places of what's true about his people. Then during. Oh, yeah. So then during. What are we going to be saying? During. What do you say? When life is hitting you hard. And further yet, you know that God could have prevented it and he let it happen. Oh. And you know that he could change it at any moment. How long are you going to sit on that one for? Because there's not much life there. Not much life. 
So during, look at this, Psalm 118. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord. And he answered by setting me free. And that's the right word, man, when you're feeling it. Anguish, right? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look and triumph on my enemies. That's what we're going to be crying out during it. God, you've never left me. My flesh wants to tell me that you're gone. All I want to see is how I feel right now. That's not the case. You were always with me. You were with me before, and you're with me during. And so I shouldn't use a difficult time as a way to evaluate how much you love me. You love me on the cross with your son, and it's never going to change what happened there. And that's where we go. So our heart's got to go. And it's really tough for them to go there in confidence, in confidence, if we didn't really build up the before. Because if you didn't go there, and co- you, if you didn't really build it up before, it's like, man, you're saying those verses, and I hope he shows up and does something. I think they're kind of true. And they are. And, and he'll show you that it is. But man, when you can march confidently in those, it changes everything. So we'll just do one of the ones after. And we'll close up here. After one, one more thing. Psalm 18. And man, the Psalms are just good. And they're good with stuff like this because Psalms deals with a lot of people, you know, most of them being from David, but from a lot of people, worship leaders, um, you know, David himself, even Moses. Um, these guys are crying out based from their hearts. They're just crying out from their hearts. That's where we're at. It's crying out from hearts. Like, that's where a relationship with God is. So to reduce a relationship with God into 10 minutes of reading a Bible passage, shutting it up and then head now, totally missed it. Totally missed it. We've just reduced encounter with the Lord God himself to 10 verses of memorization. It's so much more than that. So much more than that. And it's not something totally unattainable. It's just submitting all of ourselves to him and really doing it. So Psalm 18, look at some of this stuff in here. Man, so this is the after. So this is after some of you have been going through stuff. And I know that we said that this stuff, you know, the testing and the trials, they really never stop. But there are some significant ones in life, man, when that season comes to a close. And we just stayed in there and we kept swinging and we kept fighting. And then we saw him come through. Yeah, you know, that's when you're driving down the street and you're yelling. You know, and it's just like, yeah, God, I knew that. I knew you would come through. I knew that was you. You were doing it, Lord, and I fought you, and I'm sorry, but I knew that you would do it, right? That's those moments. If you don't have any of those, man, take a, take a risk and get into him and have those moments. It's coming. This is why the testing and the trial is so awesome, because we figure out who we really are and who he really is. And until then, you try and resort to other people's lives and what they say and what they've done. You try and paint it off as your own. But until it's your own and it's happened to you and you have your own personal history, it's not real. It's hearsay. It's not real. Look at Psalm 18 afterwards. And this was uh, something that David uh, wrote um, after he was able to escape from Saul. Man, he just goes nuts in this. This is long. But uh, I'll just give you a couple highlights. I lo- Look at this first verse. I love you, O Lord, my strength. It's awesome. I don't know how many people can pray that one right in the middle of it. I don't know. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take my refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation. 
to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. Look how he closes up this thing. Exclamation points. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. Man, he is just pouring it out for like 50 verses. It's awesome. And that's where our hearts go when we've gone through a time that's been challenging. It's been a definite test. That's where our hearts go. We start pouring out like that. Because if we had some kind of really significant control in it and we could minimize it and it'd be like, well, it's because I did such and such. He wants to put us into a placement where we can't do anything but just trust in him. He's going to put us in those places. But he's going to figure out he is the God that feeds ten to 15,000 on five loaves and two fish. He wants us to know that personally. Really great Bible story. Yay, Jesus. Yay, disciples. Yay for everybody that got filled up. He wants to speak to hearts and be like, listen, I still do that today, and I'm going to do it through you, and I want you to experience it and know it. Even if you forget the Bible story, tell them about your life and how I did it. That's where this thing is at. So the elephant in the room, last point, and this is it. So testing. Shouldn't really be afraid of it. It's going to be a good thing. Got a loving father who's letting some stuff come through. But man, he knows what he's doing. We just got to submit and surrender and just trust him with it. And stay faithful in the process. Hopefully have joy in it as well. So here's the point with the five loaves and two fish. Broke it down to one sentence. Offer all that we have so that he can do some of what he is capable of. Five loaves and two fish. Offer all that we have so that he can do some of what he is capable of. We just offer all that we have. Couldn't he have done that same miracle if he took a half a loaf and a half a fish and just done it? He could have, right? Point being, he wanted all. That's why I was like, why did you just steal the kid's lunch? (laughs) It's weird. He wants all of it. He just wants all of it. To be a Christian, that's what it means. He wants all, everything. That is the deal. He wants our entire lives. It's not just like a simple one time, you know, just, oh, God, I'll kind of give you this. No, he he created us. We're going to stand before him. He didn't, like, suffer 10% a tithe of his blood on the cross. It cost him everything. So he's looking for everything. So he took five loaves and two fish, and he just showed some of what he can do. Do you think he was sweating? Like, man, I hope we can feed all these people. <laughs> not a thing for him. It's not a, it's just some. It's just like, yeah, I just show them that, man, I'm faithful. I can do it. And, man, he could do that with a runny nose, and he can do it with cancer. Do you think he has a difficult time with cancer? No, but we do. Right? It's got to change. It's got to change. He'll treat a head cold no different than he treats cancer. It's easy. It's not a heavy thing for him. It's a light work for Jesus. But for us, we have like these hang-up things. Right? So we got to commit all of ourselves to him and say, Lord, have it. I'm bringing my five loaves and two fish. I, I'm not, I don't know this much stuff or I'm not that tense. 
talented. I don't bring that much to the table. In fact, I really just bring failures and just a knack for screwing things up to the table. But Lord, I'm just giving it to you. Have your way with it. I'm going to do whatever you want, Lord. Now we're putting ourselves in a position to feed 5,000 or do something. Now we can. And too many times we just use those other things as reasons about why we shouldn't do something. Instead of, man, those are all the reasons to like go for it. So, I don't know about you, but I am excited because I know, if, right, to look at my life and who I am. I'm like a half a loaf and a tail of a fish that's rotted and dead. And it doesn't even matter. See, because the problem they did is they took Jesus out of the equation. So they're thinking, hmm, all right. Uh, Philip's like, okay, we got uh, 10, 12,000 people. I make such and such in a year. He probably has like a year. Maybe they get a bite. But he left Jesus out of the equation. I just spit on you. I'm sorry. But they left Jesus out of the equation. If you put Jesus in there, what is, what's the big deal? That's a math equation that always works. So we got impossible, plus me, plus Jesus. It's just whatever. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter. That's the whole story of the Bible. It doesn't, he chose anyone. It didn't, it, farmers, uh, uh, guys that grew up, you know, educated, you know, like Paul, um, regular uh, blue collar shepherds, like he just took anybody. It didn't matter. Took fishermen. What do they know? They don't know anything. What do they know about starting churches and planting churches and transforming an entire world for thousands of years for the cause of Jesus Christ? What do they know? What does a group of people at Naga talk really know? Yeah, we know Jesus. Hopefully, that's all that we do know, right? And then we just march all in that. We're going to have some deficits, sure. We're going to have some inadequacies, for sure. Uh, maybe we don't have enough money, you know, quite to do that thing. Or, you know, maybe we don't have, like, the best, you know, talkers. Or maybe we don't have, like, the best, you know, whatever. And, I mean, I hope and I pray. That's just, that's honestly, my number one hope and prayer is that, man, that this is a church. This is a group of people. We make up the church. This is us. Hopefully we are a group of people. We know the heart of God. We can just connect with that. We're just there. God, we know who you are. We know how you feel about us. We know how you feel about people. And God, we just want to get in agreement with what you have for us. Get out the funk out of me. Lord, just have your way. That's a church full of people. That's a real church. But you want to be there. Yes. And he's transforming us into that. And it's not like one day we just, hey, we've arrived. Yeah, we arrived, you know. We... He just wants people that are just sold out to that and trying to walk aggressively after that. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. And so hopefully, we're all looking to get there together. I mean, I, I, I hope now the test isn't like, oh, you know... Uh, the test, uh, the, the, the. man, let's just show up. Here, five loaves, two fish. What are you going to do? What are we going to do, Lord? 
What are we gonna do? I don't. You know, I don't have any all the answers. Um, and, and, and like, it's not an excuse to sort of never think about things or plan anything out and just be impulsive all the time. And I'm not saying that. Those things have its place. I'm just saying, let's just offer all that we have to Him and not even be so worried about the test or the next test that's coming up and how test is that hard going to be and how much is this one going to cost me and trying to like evaluate it and you know, size it up. Man, let's just be in relationship with Him. Because when we're in relationship with Him, I mean relation, like just with Him, who cares about the next test that's coming up? What's the need to worry? What's the need if it gets out of my control? It's a lot easier said than done now. It's a lot easier said than done. And so hopefully we're doing the things that we need to be doing ourselves, right, in the before part or being alone with Him and just knowing what He says about us and what He says about our future with Him. Man, because it's so exciting. I just get more excited about knowing that he takes five loaves and two fish and just does ridiculous things. I get excited about him taking regular people and just blowing away other people. It's amazing to me. Not that he doesn't also use academic, scholarly, intelligent people. He does. But it's kind of an amazing thing. When he takes the unwise, man, he just makes them wise. Because they have just been with him. They know his heart. So let me make sure I got everything on here. Who did he, Jesus ask first? Philip. How many people were there? 5,000 men, you know, so I don't know, 10,000, 12,000. Some people, were, hey, I was reading this week, they're saying, oh, 30,000, you know, I, I don't know. Every guy have like 15 kids, I don't know. Uh, does God test people? He does. He does. And I think I gave you the verses, right? Genesis 22, uh, Psalms 11, just a couple. The purpose of the testing is to reveal and refine. The purpose of the testing is to reveal who we really are, where we're really at, and then refine that. That's the purpose. Why would Jesus use the kids' entire lunch? Because he wants us to bring everything. He wants us to bring everything. Bring it all to the table. Give him all. He can have, nothing's off limits for him. Say, Lord, just have your way with whatever. It'll probably be really humbling for me. But just have your way for whatever because my pride doesn't really matter anyways. Right? That's what we're called to be. So I think I want to live a little bit longer. So let's just stand and we'll close in prayer. Now, sometimes the temptation is, um, after hearing five loaves, two fish, ah, you know, just going and going for it, which is good. Enthusiasm and zeal and boldness is good. Um, but offering five loaves and two fish and becoming you know, available to him just happens right in our own homes. And usually that's where it's the most hardest, most difficult. Right in our own homes. You know, helping out with chores, talking nice with people, having patience when they ask for things, even though they ask them a million times. You know, when you do get offended, how are you actually going to deliver how you actually got offended? Taking the extra time to, like, step back because they're worth it and you want to make sure you're communicating their worth to them. Right? This is like... So, yeah, five loaves and two fish. Let's go. Let's go out for myself. Yes. 
And it matters also in the home. Like, that's like the training grounds. The training grounds. It's discouraging to see a lot of people who really like, love the Lord and do big things in ministry. And then at home, they're horrible. Hopefully that's not like our story. That won't be our case. We want more than that. Father, we thank you that you, uh, that you're just lovingly for us. That you're on our side. And Father, that you're not surprised by anything. And God, I pray, Lord, that the heart of our church would just to be offer all that we have all the time. And some of us are at different places with doing that, Lord. And um, some of us probably even have reservations about how much we want to surrender and how much we want to give over to you. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just release a sense of your freedom and a sense of your perspective, God, on how we only really experience life when we just start giving it away. When we give it over to you is when we really start to live life, Lord. And God, we'll never really experience true measures of faith until we just offer all that we have to you, Lord. And so I pray that we would be guilty of that, this offering all that we can, Lord. All that we can of our emotions, Lord, all that we can of our time, God, our money, our possessions, whatever it is, God. I pray that everything is just yours and nothing's off limits. And God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to be doing uh, through our church and what you're going to be doing through people in this church. And it's in process now already, God. We just praise you for it. It's in process now, and you are excited about it as well. And Father, I just pray that we would do, we would just do the things, Lord, just being in relationship with you, God, so we can understand how we're called to just be transformed, Lord, and then become love to other people around us, God. So, Father, we look forward to what you're going to do with us, God, as we continue to offer ourselves to you and say, use us. And I pray that we wouldn't be discouraged easily. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.